Oh, bet. You guys are good to go, yeah? Welcome Yo. back, guys, to another <laughs> oh <my> episode. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, let me speakerphone you. No, he's kidding, he's kidding. I was just kidding. <laughs> How savage would that be? Yeah, just, hello? Hey, and we're here with our guest! <laughs> <laughs> just off rip. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Talking with Andrew and Chris. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chris. And today, we have both members of the incredible two-piece, Widowmaid. And those members are... Bill Santana and Mark Pollitt. And what an episode it was. This episode is as spontaneous as it is um, precise and direct about some dudes who have been grinding for a very long time together for a very long time and have not given up and it's very inspiring and i just can't wait for you guys to hear it yeah and we just want to take a quick second to shout out uh our own band real quick uh chris myself and sweet t are actually in a band called the stash and we've been putting out singles pretty consistently pretty much every month this year for sure and even a little bit last year we will continue to keep putting out singles oh we're going to continue you can find us uh and all social medias at the stash ny and on youtube just find the stash and you'll find us there on spotify apple music also we'd, we'd really appreciate that we really appreciate it and with that being said we have to we absolutely have to thank everyone behind the scenes who helps make this show possible that would be vextra sweet tea same person he's got many names also tristan <laughs> also tristan at chamber audio thank you guys so much we appreciate everything you guys do as well as for these past few episodes our good friend my good friend everyone's good friend michael kudo running cameras and just being all killing around it. killing it the best video guy you could ask for and please remember to like subscribe um leave a review anywhere this podcast can be found and we just want you guys to know that your support is seriously so appreciated thank you all so much for listening to this thing when we get back here's a snippet of war by Widowmade. snippet of war by Widowmade, and we are fortunate enough to have half of Widowmade here he is a fashion icon as well as a shredding rock star and i'm honored to have him here bill santana what is up my man hey man it's good to be here dude i'm really honored to be on your pod hell yeah dude thank you for being on the pod we appreciate that thanks for calling it the pod yeah, it's that that just off the bat, I think that just made this whole conversation that's about to happen super chill. Yeah. So welcome to the pod. It felt right. It felt it felt fluid. It just rolled off the tongue, the pod. I mean, Bill Santana rolls right off the tongue, so I would imagine that you're quite the smooth talker. True. Oh, thank you very much. In my high school days, some would say I had a golden tongue. I got a lot of people a lot of different dates to prom. Wow, that that's kind of you know they called Don Henley from the Eagles Golden Throat, so you're on your way. Yeah, I hope so. I would love <laughs> to be in his footsteps. <laughs> Hell yeah, man! So, um, why don't you uh, like right off the bat here? You know, why don't you just take us back? Like, you know, you're working, you're working on music all the time. You're in multiple projects. Like, like what inspires you, and and like what is your approach to creating? Well. I would say it all starts at like a nine-year-old Bill Santana when my parents and my friends called me Will because my name's William. Um, I was growing up with the, with the knowledge and the question that I didn't have a grandfather. He died before I was born. I had one grandfather, but not two. I thought that was kind of strange. So by the time I was nine, I was asking a lot of questions about him, and I come to find out he's a bass player, uh, and he was on a record, some california 70s rock record some people a guy wrote a review i really liked it it was too soft for the hard rock fans but too hard for the soft rock fans it was called pretty darling by the eric ralph band and my grandpa was named 
His name was Bill Slater. I was born William Slater because I was around for like four years before my parents like pulled the trigger and got married. I was at their wedding. Not a lot of people can say that. It's exciting. But he was a bass player. His bass was in the closet. My mom brought it out, showed it to me. 1975 Fender P bass, red velvet, you know, on the inside of the case. And that's where it starts. I think my mouth is watering. Hell yeah, man. So, so what was the, as a young kid, like what was the curiosity about, about knowing your grandfather, right? The, the way you just explained it, it seems like you were sort of seeking out information about him. Yeah, dude, he, I had, so my mom, I got my mom and then her mother who was adopted by like uh, a Korean guy that was in Germany and a German woman, like in the second world war or something nuts like that. Right. So the, the bloodline kind of ends there. I got my mom and my, my granny, I called her. On my dad's side, I got the whole deal, you know. And so I was, um, I was just looking for a little more and trying to figure out a little more. And I figured out something that would definitely end up blazing the trail for the rest of my life. Wow, that's, uh, that's crazy, man. So your, your quest for curiosity about your family led to your passion. Absolutely. I don't know many people who can say yeah, that. I don't, I don't think I've ever met anyone that was like, oh, I just didn't know who my grandpa was, and then I became a musician. Yeah, that's that's basically how it happened. No other musical members in the family. Um, my mom listened to the dopest music growing up. Like, we always listened to Pearl Jam in the car, or like Guns N' Roses. So even before Nine, I was a big rock and roll fan. And then when the actual bass was in front of me and the strings and I could touch it, I was like, oh it's on like here we go <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's definitely apparent having seen you play in various projects that you grew up listening to some rock and music because like you're definitely one of the best live bass players i've ever seen especially under the age of 30 which is crazy <laughs> thank you very much man like the house on cliff really was just a stacked group of insanely talented musicians i was i was heartbroken when you guys said that you were over i'll be honest and I was too. A great thing about that, though, that not everyone can say is it was a very amicable, uh, amicable, you know, decent situation. Breaking up with a band is never super great, but mm-hmm. um, it. I've seen bands break up, and it was so messy. And uh, Mark and I, uh, the drummer from the House on Cliff, and my, you know, co-creator and widow made, uh, we were in that band together, and we still Facetime Chad. Uh, the singer who's in Nashville doing big old things. I think he opened up for Brad Paisley last night, actually. Wow. Uh, he's in a band called King Calloway, and we FaceTimed him the other night, and we're still really tight with old management. So uh, in that respect, I do feel fortunate. It was it was unfortunate, but it uh, could have been a lot worse. And uh, how old are you? Right now, I'm 22. 22. Okay, so you're still incredibly young. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. that I'm old or anything, but you are still incredibly young. So, so in a way, it seems that House on Cliff might have been the perfect way to cut your teeth, so to speak, right? I mean, I would have to say absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, so basically, you know, you, you do House on Cliff. What, what age do you get in that band? Because for those, for those of you guys listening who don't know, you guys toured fairly extensively, and you were a band for quite a few years, correct? Yeah, I would say we were a band for about four years, um, and I was 17 when I talked to the guitar player. Basically, I went to Berkeley at age 17. Uh, my birthday's in September. Semester started in August. Um, in New York and, or California? Uh, Berkeley College of Music on the East Coast. It's in Boston, actually. Oh, okay, okay, cool. But, um, I think I get it confused with another school in Cali, but uh, anyways, continue. I was just curious. Yeah, there is, there is a Berkeley, uh, Cal Berkeley in California. It's in San Francisco area. But uh, I started there. I knew it was a means to an end. A lot of people that go there who kind of have rock band in them, you know, rock and roll music, go there as a means to an end to meet the people and to leave instead of pay you know, thousands of dollars every semester just to be there. But it happened way, way quicker than I could have expected. Um, it was only a few weeks in when I met a guy named Charles who lived in Boston, went to Berkeley, but was out of Berkeley because he was currently, uh, currently touring. Um, he needed a bass player and a drummer. He calls up me and Mark Polite, um, you know, my musical partner of five years now, just about four and a half. And... I was in Berkeley for a semester until I left and started touring. 
uh, with the house on cliff. And at first I talked to my parents and the phone calls in the beginning were, I don't know, man, we're going to need some references from the managers and everything. And then after a couple of weeks, it was, listen, I don't know if you can afford not to take this opportunity anymore. And they were right. So, so you, you come down. from a, a very supportive family then? Yeah, extremely supportive, pretty, pretty cool people, young parents, like right now they're only like 45, 46. So it's kind of cool being like nine and growing into another version of myself while they were like in their twenties, going into their thirties and like figuring stuff out, you know? So, um, we're close like that. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing, man. And I don't know, um, if you've ever heard of this artist, but there's a really cool singer songwriter that I got into a while back called John Mayer. Um, who actually went to Berkeley and he didn't complete his stay there. He sort of went there to network. Are you familiar with him? Yeah, yeah I, I think am. I think he's from, I think he's from Connecticut, so I'd understand if you haven't heard of him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty popular now, and he sort of took the Berkeley route, sort of go there and see who he could meet, and then you know transition into sort of what you did. So that seems to be the course. And so what I want to uh, know is, I did, think for band people, yeah, for people that like being creative in a multiple person environment, I would say so. Right. So so. So what I want to know is, were you sort of in, in Berkeley, were they sort of trying to push you more into the classical route? Like, were you maybe, since you're a bass player, I'd assume jazz bass, was that what they were trying to sort of have you take the path of? Or what was that whole experience like? I know it was a short time there, but... Yeah, yeah, I would say there's a really hard underlying jazz focus to the whole school, especially as a freshman. Uh, you don't pick your classes or your major, you pick your major by second semester, which I never got to. Um, but I had gone to Berkeley the summer before for five weeks for a program and the summer before that for a week for a program. So I did get a little experience of, and a little taste of what they wanted out of bass players. And, um, yeah, it's mainly jazz. You got a couple rock ensembles here and there. You got a couple funk, funk's a big one, but if you're in a mixed ensemble and you're just getting thrown into things, you can basically expect the same high school swing charts that you, um, you know, that you used to get back in the day being in jazz band in high school. Okay. Yeah. I never did jazz band in high school. I, I play guitar and, and sing, but in school I played trumpet. So yeah, I was always in just the regular, uh, the regular yeah. band, band class. Yeah. I was kind of forced to go into orchestra, which I guess was kind of a blessing in disguise that I didn't know at the time at nine. I was like, I want to play clarinet teachers like, but you're the best violinist in the fourth grade. I'm like, that means nothing. <laughs> Nobody cares about that. I want to play clarinet. He's like, all right, I'm putting you down for violin. I was like, all right, whatever, dude. Four years later, I was like, this is terrible. And I quit. Then I picked up the bass. I'm like, oh my God, all these strings are the same. They're just like in a different order. This is perfect. And then all of a sudden, learning the bass was so easy. I was like, all right, Mr. Lynch, I see where you're coming from, dude. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you play in bass. I was just, before you called, um, just to sharpen up and everything, I was just listening to the stash um, that new couple of songs you released, Wasting the Night, I think, and mm-hmm, some of mm-hmm. the ones with that. Thanks, um, man. Very fire, dude. Having a very good time listening to those. Thanks, man. I mean, we're having fun making them, so glad that you're enjoying them. It's high praise yeah. coming from a musician of your caliber. Oh, dude, no problem. Great records, great tunes. Um, but band, high school band, I wanted to mention, isn't there something weird about those band teachers and how possessive they get and how... You know what a what a they feel that they're owed like this right of control. You're not playing clarinet, you're playing violin. You want to play this, but instead you're gonna yeah. play two. I've seen it happen a lot. I've had some great band teachers, and they are characteristically fall under that category. But isn't that strange? A conductor it is weird because like I definitely remember my middle school orchestra teacher. Like I mean, I didn't want to be there, and it was very apparent. But I remember him kind of making it like it was much it was a much bigger deal than middle school orchestra like we went to go play at the high school for the high school orchestra teacher and we had to wear like a white button-up shirt and black pants and stuff and i showed up not wearing that and he was like what what what, what are you doing i'm like dude we're going to the high school who cares like what are you gonna do make me go home and change no like they just need to relax it's middle school half of the kids don't even want to be in the class yeah, it's nuts. It's like our version of football, though, right? Like, if you ever watch Friday Night Lights on Netflix and you get super amped for the high school football team and you feel like you missed out, like, I feel like that's our little um, our little version and our experience of kind of the same thing. Just yeah, I guess so. those who can't do teach kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> those that can't play football play in the band. That's kind of the same deal. 
<laughs> well, you know, here's here's my big regret, Bill, from high school. Um, I did play football, and I, I, pl- I wrestled, and I did lacrosse, and I, I always wish I did marching band. They were always <laughs> trying to get me into marching band with trumpet, but I was like, nah, man, like, dude, I'm in a rock and roll band. Like, I have band practice on the weekends. You think I'm going to go to marching <laughs> band right now? <laughs> and, and none of those bands I'm in, even you know, remotely in the past few years have been a thing. I've just been doing the stash with Andrew lately. And uh, so it's just hilarious. Like, I I feel like I wasted time to fine-tune the chops, you know? Because, like, I've lost all of what I had built up on the trumpet. And it sucks because now that, like, especially with the state of pop right now, it's it's so that you hear saxophone in pop. You hear, like, horns are are all over the place. Look at the new Panic! at the Disco songs. And it's just like... Come on, man! I could have actually recorded that instead of using a synthesized uh, <laughs> patch for it or something. Yeah, so now we wait. have to hire hired guns. That is a regret of mine. Pause, real quick, Chris. Um, we're meeting each other for kind of the first time. Well, not kind of for the first time right now. So you're doing the stash right now too. You're in the stash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sing. I sing, and uh, I guess I played guitar. F and A, dude. You sound <laughs> played great. Played guitar. You sound great. Buttery vocals, dude. You sound really good. And I was listening to one that wasn't one of the newer ones too that I like. I did. I can't feel waste the night, but I was looking at this one, How to Live, and you, uh, your vocal performance was really impressive. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, so that song's funny because when we originally started <laughs> this band, we were playing as the moniker Christian Ivanko and the Stash because I was like a, a solo singer-songwriter. Yeah, our band inception is a weird story. Yeah, so before we jumped on this call, you had said you know about our area, like the Hudson Valley in New York, and that there's like a big heavy music scene. I'm very yeah, much so... Yeah, I've, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, I'm very much so from that scene, as well as uh, Tristan, the person recording this podcast right now. He's also in our band. He plays mm-hmm. the keyboard and, um, the, you know, all the, the technical shit on the laptop. And so we're both from that. So it's hilarious to see the progression of uh, of us now being in pop. And it was so natural. We just like we, we wrote that song and I was trying to be like I wanted to be into reggae because I love ska punk and all that shit like horns, man. I love horns, which is why I regret not doing that in high school, you know, doing football and sports for some reason. I wasn't the worst, but I definitely wasn't the best. So to make a long story short, you know, I think it's it's hilarious now to to see the kind of music that we're making from what we were doing. Um, and yeah, no, I'm, I, you know, that song, we started off trying to be a reggae band, and it's just funny to see the progression, because when I started writing with Tristan, before he was in the band, he was like, dude, um, like, this is cool, and this could be super roots reggae, but like, why don't we add this pad? And why don't we yeah. add these like plucked hits? And it really wasn't the most reggae song. It was more of a pop song. And we've just since dove in, as I guess you've heard, listening to the tunes. But yeah, I don't think that many people would say that we've got much roots reggae in the in the new songs. No, no, that's <laughs> we've completely gone gone away from that. But it's interesting though. You see people like um, Bring Me the Horizon, dude. They did the whole 180. They were, I mean, yeah. he had one of the best guttural screams of all time, right? Well, he still does. But you know. Fast forward, modern day, he's putting out these really banging emo pop rock things that I'm really into. I say he, I, I should credit the whole band. I'm but yeah. still I don't know the other guys' names, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> well actually the, the 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 keyboard player that they added on yeah, does yeah, a I've lot heard, of it. I forget I've his name. Something fish, right, Tristan? Yeah, something fish. And uh Who's but Tristan? No, dude, you're totally right. Oh sorry, sweet tea. Oh, um, oh our producer. Okay. And uh yeah, dude. No, I mean, that's just like the craziest thing. So so while we're speaking about artist progression, like I, I, when I saw you guys in House on Cliff on the Grow Wild tour, you guys felt very rock and roll, but you had this, you had the rock and roll image, yet you also fit in with the pop bands. And I haven't really dove too much into your newer stuff, but so explain to me like what you're doing and, and where you came from and how you've progressed as an artist. So I'll tell the story in tandem um, since I went through that particular phase with a, a musical partner and a best friend of mine, Mark Polite. Um, so the two of us, yeah, we were in a rock band playing with a ton of pop artists. That's just the connects we had, the people that we knew that could sell the tickets and we would kind of hustle and try and get on the shows. And it was, looking back, it's so strange. It was fun. Some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. But um. We're going up there and we're opening up for I Am Five and they're hitting their dance moves with their wireless mics. And it did feel really out of place, but we got a lot of fans from it. Well, a lot in a relative term, a lot for us. Um, 
And then we were writing that. And after two years of being in the band, in the back half, we wanted to really work on our brand and be taken uh, in a different direction, kind of separate from the pop situation. And I think we were playing less shows and getting less tours because we were in a transition phase, which would ultimately lead to the demise of that particular band. Um, Now, me and Mark, the drummer in House on Cliff, we lay low for a year. It was a hard year, but we got to make some money because we know we don't want to stay in Boston anymore without a band. We got to move to San Diego and start a different band. I don't know why, but we had to, so we did. And um, I got a little family here in San Diego. I haven't lived to anyone close in my family in like four years at that point. So that probably had a little something to do with it. And we get here and we just start going harder and less pop and like, we're not really looking about work. Uh, we're not worried about looking pretty. Sorry about that. We're like not necessarily shaving all the time anymore. Um, you know, like, Whoa. we're just, you know, like, <laughs> We're, um, we're not, uh, you know, we're doing a lot less uh, Instagram filters on our posts. We're just mm-hmm. kind of keeping it real and, and maybe not worried about the perception of the band as much as we're worried about making a product that we like first and foremost. So now it's harder. It's a little scarier. Uh, we draw influences probably majorly from Incubus, Queens of the Stone Age, Nine Inch Nails, and Foo Fighters, I would say. Oh, hell uh, yeah. That's kind of... I would go to that tour, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds like a banger. For me, that's kind of my my you know holy holy quad. Um, but I know Mark would probably throw Muse in there. Um, we probably throw a little Jack White in there too. But yeah, we're working on it, making it a little more uh, or a little less comfortable. House on Cliff was really palpable. We're gonna do rock, but we're gonna do it so it can fit in at the um, at the pop setting, and so it can be commercial, 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 commercial. Everyone's saying commercial, you know, all the time. And it just, you know, it in the end couldn't hold up to that kind of that standard. So Mark and I leave and we do something that's a little more us. And geez, we have a lot more fun doing it. Um, and band meetings are way easier because there's two of us and we live together. And band practice is way easier to schedule. And we that can, must be nice. It's the, it is. It's really it brought me back into my love of music. Not that I stopped loving it at any moment, but like my back was hurting a lot after the tours, the new songs weren't really happening for me personally. Right. Um, started to feel like work. Yeah. It started to feel like work. And that is obviously when it's all going to kind of crumble down and it wasn't a hard, a messy crumble, but that's what happened. And now we're here in San Diego and it's way more sunny, way less cold. Oh, dude, San um, Diego is amazing. I miss it so much. Probably the most beautiful part of California that I've been to. Yeah, dude, the boys in 7715 were here last night. Couldn't go. It sold out so fast. That whole freaking Dude, they announced the tour and half, like more than half of it was sold out. I was like, bro, how do you expect me to come see you if it's already sold out? <laughs> yeah, same yeah. thing happened for the New York date with us. It was very unfortunate, but it's cool to see them <laughs> killing it. So, you know. Oh yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. And I knew the venue they were playing at Soma, and I knew there was a Chili's right across the street. So Oh, they must have been hyped. Dude, I wasn't surprised to see on uh, Dan's Instagram story that they were mobbing that Chili's. I, won't, I wouldn't be surprised if in like five years, Dan is the spokesperson for Chili's and White Claw. It's likely. I think it's extremely likely. And probably running his own successful clothing line of just random shirts that he comes up with that only like 20 people on earth would actually understand the joke <laughs> to. Yeah, he's a, he's a creative mind for, for sure. So, so, Bill, real quick, when you said commercial, 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 were you talking about the house on Cliff and sort yeah, of the progression was. you guys were going through? We were a rock band and our roots were in classic rock. And then one day everyone decided to get freaking serious and said, we got to make something that's going to get played. We got to make a hit. We're like, where did that come from? That's never even worked for us ever. You know, we're getting our listens. We're getting our fans, you know, doing what we're doing. And then, you know, it just switched at some point. We had to write. We were listening to like freaking Imagine Dragons and Kings of Leon. I kind of like Kings of Leon. But we were listening to all these like pop rock, top 40 bands, and we're trying to do something, and it just felt silly at a point, you know? So when you say you guys were being told to write that, was this an internal conversation from within the band, or were these your management, your team around you guys? I would say it was internal with heavy backing from the Mm -hmm. team. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Yeah, because I which, mean, you... which makes sense because we had a team that invested a lot of money into us. So do I resent it? Absolutely not. Um, we had a team that put a lot of money into us, so it's only logical for them to push towards a commercial hit to make some money back. You know what I mean? So it does make sense. But it was, you know, Mark and I were in the band after the first EP. Uh, we came in a little late, and I think so many different ideas were tossing around with new personnel being put in that it just wasn't the perfect situation for something to come out of it. No, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, so so would you say that that conversation is is what led to sort of the end of House on Cliff? No, because we stayed together a long time. We tried our hand at writing a lot of um, pop rock tunes. Um, and then, yeah, we stayed together for about a year after that. Six months into that last year, we had our last big tour, which would be with Dalton Rapatoni, um, and we were backing him up. And somewhere in that tour, we were told by our guitar player that he was going back to college. Uh, so then, in turn, our singer was going back to college, but we were still all going to live in Boston, so there was a way it could work. A guitar player then moves from Boston University to University of Massachusetts Amherst. That's Charles Coleman, by the way, one of the greatest guitar players and one of my best friends of all time. I still have uh, a great three and a half minute video of Charles and Dan having a guitar duel during one of your covers at Revolution. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. House of the Rising Sun. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, no, we did it with him with Whipping Post. I think we did House of the Rising Sun uh, without him. But yeah, he jumped up for Whipping Post and nailed it. But yeah, I'm going to send you that video when we're done with this call. It is a pretty legendary cool. video. Yeah, but then... <laughs> So Charles goes to school two hours away, which is ultimately the slowing down of the band and then the trying to find money to pay for the van that I put in my name for the van. So doing other gigs and then deciding we got to get somewhere else and do something else. And um, it didn't I don't know why we wanted to go so far away. I was born in California. I think I really wanted to come back. And Mark is already an ocean away from his parents uh who live in france so it wasn't a big deal to him to move another three thousand miles um, it makes sense wild man i mean he goes back to france not like a lot but i feel like i like every other time i see him on instagram he's like posting from france maybe i'm yeah, just once, wrong no he doesn't go all the time he probably goes once a year he's actually right here he could tell you about what being in france was like and uh, <laughs> you know oh wow a double feature <laughs> he's also uh he's also widowmaid's um primary producer as dude will definitely goes. tell mark that he's uh first off one of the best drummers i've ever seen but also probably the best lefty drummer i've ever seen oh thanks dude there's not many of us though yeah i know but you're still the best uh, one. Oh, uh, thanks well i think phil collins even though he can't play anymore because he's injured um was it? he's pretty up there oh i didn't me. know he was lefty yeah, and the guy from uh, Muse, uh, Dominic Hard. He's, yeah, um, but he's ambidextrous. He's like, that doesn't count. He does it <laughs> both ways. Man, one of the best shows I've ever seen. But um, that guy sucks because he's so good. So real Thank quick, um, why you bring up Phil Collins? Also, what's up, Mark? It's Chris. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, man. <laughs> um, I actually saw Phil Collins about four months ago now with my dad. In Brooklyn. So his son played drums, right? His son played drums and he was incredible. And he comes out with this cane. He's limping. It honestly took him like a minute and a half to get across the <laughs> stage to his stool. But let me tell you, once he said, they, they opened up with the song that's like, um, Against All Odds. And it's just him and a grand piano. And once he started singing, I was like, all right, I don't care if this dude can't, can't move, can't run around. This is going to be an amazing concert. Like he still brought it. And I bet it was. Yeah, he still brought it. But you're right. He is injured right now. And that is very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, but he he's still in the Hall of Fame. Sing. Yeah, he can definitely still sing, that's for sure. So so real quick, Mark, while we have you, um, Bill was just telling us that you're the main producer for uh, Widow's Make. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that process and sort of like how you go about, you know, recording and, and doing all that stuff for your band yourself? Yeah, um, it was a long process that started uh, back in the House on Cliff days, like most things, but... Um, uh, basically, the idea was uh, to be able to put out. It started as a, a desire to like constantly put out demos on my own without having to pay anybody. The main thing was paying anybody, but also just not having to figure it out and and just being able to focus uh, on my own stuff. 
Um, I got I got a board for like I got like a small recording board for Christmas when I was like uh, seventeen, I think, and uh, it started there. And then when the desire grew in the house on cliff, when we actually had to like you know produce uh, stuff and and have uh, material ready to go, so we can go into the studio and be able to not waste any time or money. So um, we um, we thought. Well, especially me, I thought that if I was able to do that myself, it'd be way easier. So I got into that. Um, I took some classes at Berkeley for Pro Tools, um, an accelerated Pro Tools class for like one semester. And uh, from there, I just kind of self-taught and took advice from producers I was working with um, uh, or that were helping the house on Cliff and were um, also friends that graduated from school. Uh, all those tips just kind of accumulated to make to now where um basically the idea is we want we were able to make sort of di uh, diy records where we can put out singles you know every other month and um have it be like uh the best quality that you can get like out of minimal gear and still have it sound um you know decent and you know kind of to our advantage the style of rock and roll is kind of a gritty style um, so when we're recording in these conditions, it kind of adds to the, to the music a little bit in our, in our case. So, um, yeah, so now it's been eight or nine years since I've, since I've been, you know, accumulating all this information and it, it leads to now, but there's always, you know, ways to go. But, um, yeah, the, the main focus at first was convenience for sure, but it's gotten to a point where, uh, I, I really enjoy it and. William, you said like we're we're um, kind of a duo in the sense where I focus on that side of things, but we both write, and he does more of uh, the social side of it, where he he's keeping more of an eye on social media, and um, talking to you guys while I sit in the corner and listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're I'm glad you jumped on with us real quick, man. No, uh, for we... sure. I, I I was listening, and I, I heard you guys' episode with Walkney, and we're we're good friends with him, even though we haven't seen him in a while. Um, we're we're happy to know that he's doing good. So, um, yeah, it's it's great. I'm happy to know the two of you are doing good. I didn't even know you were in the room. Yeah, this <laughs> is uh this is uh talking with Andrew and Chris first. To have uh, two episodes on one, two, two, guests, two guests on one, on one episode. episode, especially a surprise <laughs> yeah, guest. Sorry, yeah, surprise sorry. guest. A lot of firsts for sorry this episode. To, yeah, sorry to to drag things out, but oh no, this is this is great, story. man. This is great. Yeah, man. The well, the whole whole widow made now. The you got all of the the, the whole band on. Wow, oh, one whole band wow. on the podcast. Yeah, wow. We fit <laughs> we fit everyone in. That's crazy. Um, yeah. If if you want, I do got one more question for you, dude. Or, or if you just wanted to jump in and say that little snippet, you could do that too. <laughs> Any questions, man, is more than welcome. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just, I've never been in a two-piece. Um, it, it feels like a lot of the two-pieces that I listen to, or, well, I guess, I don't know if the Black Keys still count, but... You You're know, in those, Mayfair. <laughs> that's that's know. something different. <laughs> you know, it just, it feels like to be a two-piece in rock and roll these days, you either have to, you know create a lot of sound and almost make it you know baffle people that it's only two humans in the one band or you kind of have to be super minimalistic and listening to your music i sort of feel like you guys balance a fine line between that so i just want to know like what you try to contribute as a drummer to the two-piece writing style um well drumming wise actually um the best thing you can do in my case is keep it minimal because i um I have to sing and trigger the tracks as well. So basically when I'm playing drums, I'm really, um, even though, you know, I, I can't kind of go crazy and, and do more stuff. And in this oh, situation, yeah. I'm kind of really hold, just holding it down and making sure I'm, I'm, I'm tight with William. And I mean, we we're at an advantage point where we've, we've played in a lot of different settings for over a significant a, uh, sorry, a significant amount of time. I can't speak English anymore, man. It's all right, dude. You're French. Um, half, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and I go to France every it's about twice a year to answer your question from earlier. But um, well, there you go. But anyway, um, yeah. So drumming wise, I I really try to keep it minimal. I'll go crazy if if the, I know there's a part where I'm not singing. But um, it's gotten to a point where uh, you have to be really careful about breathing and. 
you know, uh, awareness of, of your surroundings with, with a laptop right behind you and stuff. But yeah, um, definitely. it's not, it doesn't, not in the sense that hurts the music, of course, like I, we, we always bring, you know, the most out of, out of our shows and, and always go a hundred percent. But um, it's definitely a different approach, but the, the fact that we have a strong foundation over time and, and, um, and also, you know, having a, t- uh, a two piece band sound wise, um, when you're starting out, it doesn't really hurt you that much because you're playing shows in smaller venues where it might not be acoustically convenient for like a loud band or um, it's just all around really small. Uh, having a smaller band is kind of an advantage because there's less people making noise. And even if you're a loud band, there's less like different frequencies messing with each other because of less elements. Um, um, I actually, to, to prove my point on that, I. I saw Queens of the Stone Age and Royal Blood opened for them. And those are two huge bands that I love. I saw them in Boston about a couple of years ago. And um, Royal Blood opened for them. And they, and they were playing in the sports arena of a university, which is not, you know, really cut out acoustically for shows. And basically, Royal Blood ended up having, like, the best sound of the night because there were a two-piece, uh, just bass and drums. And then... Queens of the Stone Age come, came on and they killed it and they kind of ended up having the better set anyway. But sound wise, it wasn't as good because uh, it wasn't clear because there was like three guitar players, a bass player, organs, drums. So for for those kind of things, having a two piece. In terms of sound compensation, when you get to the bigger kind of scale of things and bigger shows, um, we don't really hold back from from using tracks either. So we have that to back us up. And uh, we also, in the probably more distant than close future, would uh, consider having like a, a permanent third member to the band. We have some some friends that help us out for like half sets where we will have a friend guitar player, Cody from the frets, or somebody else who's available that we can teach the song to come on for like a second half of a show and help us on guitar. But um, so that would kind of be the, aim, the, the end um, kind of... Um, lineup for widow made but um yeah i mean for now i'm loving it i i grew up playing with my dad who's a blues guitar player and he just kind of put me on the drums and i played over him so i'm historically very used to playing with just one other person but um i, I love it and it's it's i mean on a con- if you're talking about convenience then that's a, also a whole other thing where there's so much less things to manage and william was saying earlier you know band meetings are easier to set up with with just one other person to you know work with um but yeah i mean i don't think it's hurt us at all and it's something that's becoming really you know more and more popular i mean in the last couple decades with the white stripes and uh they really kind of kicked it off on a, on a grand scale and um now there's royal blood 21 pilots um even in other styles, you know, Daft Punk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, kind of the two-piece, you know, kind of image thing is something that's kind of been around um, in recent music history. If you if you compare it to, like, since music's been around, it's only been, like, I would say 20, maybe 30 years of, of two-piece bands kind of sticking out, but um, yeah. maybe 20. But, um, but, yeah, it's growing fast and definitely something – we ended up being really comfortable with. So I think in this situation, it fits really well. Yeah. And I was going to ask, it seems like the obvious next edition would be a guitar player. So. Yeah. Um, we're kind of open to anything. It, it's kind of whoever fits most. Uh, but yeah, we're not really specific, of, you know, um, what instruments they play as long as they can sing. Uh, but yeah, we definitely do a lot of writing on guitar, so that would that would help a lot. But it might it might probably end up being a guitar singer, that's for sure. So does Bill also sing? I didn't get a chance to ask him that. He sings, uh, yeah, he sings really easy, kind of lower register harmonies. Uh, he he has a very um, set uh, range, but he on the side of things, he's actually a really good freestyle rapper. Uh, we haven't really uh, gone into that in our music, but he. Yeah, he, he. I don't know. I don't know what to say. He can. He can spit bars, man. Dude, that's crazy. I'm in a band with a with a really good freestyle rapper. He's actually my co-host on this show. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> I've been I've been known from time to time. There I, he is. I, I'm a little I'm a little rusty, but you know, Petty still got it. 
right. We'll bring um, you, we'll bring uh, we'll bring Bill back on another episode for a rap battle. Well, we'll sway exactly. in the morning. I was, him, I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah, sway in the morning. <laughs> we'll put him on the spot. No phone delay. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, yeah. dude, that that was um, that was those were some great answers, and yeah. it seems it what seems to me that your mentality is you're not adding someone for their musical their musical capabilities, but of course that's a factor in it. But it seems to me, based off what you just said, you're looking for more of the person. The personality has to be a better fit. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's kind of half the cookie, but um, it's, um, it's definitely very important because, you know, there's, no, there's just no point in associating with somebody who can be really good but is a, a pain to be around with because, you know, the way we're, things are looking, we're going to be like, you know, kind of a more touring focused band maybe in the future. And whoever we partner with is going to have to, you know, live with us and be in a van with us. So it's definitely really important for us that the person we get, even if they're, you know, um, if they're good, more importantly, we want them to really, you know, get our vibe for things and get our vision and kind of be on the same page all around uh, because, you know, it's, it's kind of what helps in the long run and, and being around as a band for, for more than four years and stuff really, uh, gets you places so we're, we're kind of it's kind of a, a long run a strategy i'd say but um yeah it's it's very important extremely important absolutely i mean there's nothing worse than living with someone that bothers you and then being forced to live with that person while going from place to place and essentially you know doing your job every day it definitely can be taxing right because yeah. Because you know, as we all know, we're 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 playing music first and foremost because it's a passion of ours. But mm-hmm. there comes a point in time where you need to inevitably make some money off of it to continue doing it. And mm-hmm. if you're not with the right people, as as you know, I know you know with your past bands, Mark. I know with my past bands. Sometimes it just doesn't work out when you take that next step. Maybe you were friends in high school, and you're like, "Hey, let's start a band," and things get crazy, and and you and it goes further than you thought. But it, but eventually it could fail if if the people you're with you don't all mesh or you change over time. So I really think that's a very seasoned answer. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, I it's mean, it's it's you. It's it's like you just said. It's trial and error. Like the stuff has happened to us. Unfortunately, it has to happen to you several times before uh, most you know people like me or some other people will get the message. But <laughs> yeah but you know you can't really expect things to happen sometimes and um the main thing is that you learn from it and you know music is uh like a lot of other businesses not an all pretty all clean thing so you're gonna make mistakes and sometimes it'll get ugly but you just gotta you know you just gotta make, make the most of it yeah as long as and you get fr- back up right be a be be friendly just be friendly absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. i think yeah. don't uh, hold grudges it's very much so um, the saying that I've always heard, and maybe, you know, I hope I don't experience it one day, but the saying <laughs> goes, you know, um, be, be, be nice to who you meet on the, way, uh, on, on the way up, because you'll see him again on the way down. Yep. And yep. that seems to be the way it goes if you watch any classic rock documentary. You can get that, you can <laughs> yeah. get that in the first hour. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and you think people would know you know after hearing all these stories but it just keeps happening man no totally dude um <laughs> well mark man this was uh this was this was good this was this a very pleasant yeah. surprise i'm no. really happy i got to hear your voice <laughs> now, now william's across from me but um he's uh we're really happy to be on your show and we're really happy thankful for you guys for having us you know dude of course we just want to put the the nicest people we know on the show and also the best talent and it seems like it lined up with both of those today, which is cool. We can so. be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're definitely talented, so that's good. <laughs> so what's, what's next for you guys? Um, this is a fairly new project. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. We, you guys don't – we don't have a lot much more to talk about on that scale, but except for the fact that we have a, a lot of shows um, in the works. We really want to um, get more of – a ball rolling in that aspect, you know, for live sh- stuff. Cause in all our other projects, that was kind of our strong point. And, uh, for this band, we kind of had to start and, and focus more on our recordings and have that be kind of the way people know about us, even though what we were used to is playing live. So we're trying to kind of go back to that. We have a couple shows, uh, in March, uh, with the, uh, with the frets, one with the frets, um, and another one at the Casbah. um, 
the first one's in PB. Uh, it's on the 23rd, and the other one's the Wednesday of that next week. Uh, Willem's getting the book that has the dates in it. But anyway. Yeah, Bill Santana here. Let's see. It looks like the 23rd, March 23rd, with the Fretz Widowmade Lefties, 710 Beach Club in Pacific Beach, San Diego, California. That's going to be a big, big party. We're all going to have a really good time there. And then it uh, looks like Wednesday of the following week, I think we're doing uh, the Casbah, world famous Casbah. You know the one, Rock the Casbah. Lock the cash box. Yeah, I know the song. Yeah, that's the one. So, <laughs> so we're really excited about that. And also new tunes coming out. And the way it's looking right now is it's going to be a collaboration uh, with a very good friend of ours from Dallas. But I won't say much more. Okay. And uh, when, when can people expect that? Oh, I don't know. She's got the demos. Oh, I gave, I gave it away. She's a she. <laughs> or part of it. But, um, she's got the demos. We sent her two of them. She's going to pick one she wants to work on. We have a call on Monday. Um, then we're going to set up some studio time and some video time. So, uh, we'll keep you all updated. Yeah. Word, very word. cool. And, and to what Mark said, being that you guys are so new and you don't have much to go on, we plan on doing this show indefinitely for a very long time. So you guys will just have to come back maybe in like a year or so. And we'll just chat about what you've been up to since. Absolutely. It's, this yeah, is the f- it's, gotta it's, have that rap battle, man. <laughs> yes, dude, we'd love that. Um, so I guess we're while we're wrapping up here, um, we just want to, you know, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. And uh, why don't you tell everyone who's listening where they can find you guys and the band and uh, any other last tidbits of information that you think? Whatever else you want people to go check out, tell them where to check it out. Exactly. All right, all right. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, SoundCloud and Bandcamp at Widow Made Band. That's W I D O W M A D E Band B A N D. Um, you can slap the tunes off Bandcamp and SoundCloud for now. Spotify comes soon. And um, fucking be yourself, San Diego. Oh, be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's stay classy. Oh no. Oh no. A hard fumble. That was a hard fumble. It's all right, guys. He's. Uh, he's can, he's we, not from America. Don't don't blame on him. We can edit the podcast, but we probably <laughs> won't. <laughs> Great, yeah, no need, no need, no need. Um, but yeah, that's what we got. So thank you everybody very much, and um, thank you guys. Thank talking with Andrew and Chris, dude. That's the party, man. Hell yeah, dude. This was a fun one. We appreciate it.